I, uh, I, write, I write these sermons uh, a couple of weeks ahead of, of when I give them. And, and when, I was, when I was writing this sermon, it was the week that the great home run hitter, Hank Aaron, died. Um, and it, this passage reminded me of one of my favorite Hank Aaron stories and Yogi Berra stories. Um, there, was a, there was a game... Years ago, of course, when Hammer and Hanks, Milwaukee Braves, were, were, were playing the New York Yankees, and their longtime catcher and all-time character, Yogi Berra, was behind the plate for the Yankees. And the story goes that uh, uh, as Yogi Berra was doing his normal routine of trying to distract hitters with constant chatter, as Yogi was accustomed to doing, Hammer and Hank stepped into the batter's box, and Yogi Berra was telling him, he only called him Henry, his given name, because he thought that would distract him too. But, so he was saying apparently things like, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. Henry, you can't read the label. If you know anything about wood bats, the label is supposed to be either straight up or straight down. Uh, so Yogi Berra was saying, Henry, you, gotta, you have to hold the bat where you can read it. You have to read the label. Henry, you're not reading the label. Well, the last pitch of that at-bat, Hank Aaron slugged over the left field wall, and he rounded the bases as he did 700-some-odd times in his career. And as he touched home plate, he looked back at Yogi Berra and said, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> Hank Aaron was a man who knew his purpose, uh, which reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Today... Uh, we begin the end of the book of Romans. Uh, however you want to divide or outline out the book of Romans, this is probably still the body of the letter, but we're certainly starting to land the plane here. Uh, Paul is, has definitely shifted gears from where we were last week, and he is planning a trip to Rome, and we'll see that next week. But today... Paul shifts gears and he starts to talk about like his purpose, the purpose behind what he has done and what he will do, the reasons why. Paul's going to tell us, tell the Romans the reason why he wrote this letter, the reason why he ministered or served the way he did, the reason why he boasts, and the reason why he will continue to keep serving in the plans of he has. Now, after we know Paul's reasons why, we'll come back to us and talk about what we can learn about some our reasons why we are to do what we are to do. But first, let's read our, our passage, Romans chapter 15. We're going to read verses 14 through 21, and they read this way. And concerning you, my, my brethren, which he doesn't necessarily mean gender specifically, you Christians there in Rome, brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, 
so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. Verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but, as it is written, they who had not had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard uh, have not heard shall understand. There's our passage. That's Paul's reasons why, and we start in verses 15, 14 and 15, where, where Paul tells the Christians in Rome that he's been writing to the reason why he wrote this letter to them. It's been over a year since we talked about this, I think, but Paul didn't plant this church in Rome. Paul's never been to Rome. He wants to go. He's going to tell them again next week, in next week's passage, that he's ready to come there. But he didn't plant this church. He doesn't know most of these people, though he'll give a list of people he's acquainted with. So why did Paul write this letter to the church in Rome? We're going to see a different answer next week, but he gives one answer today right here. He says, But I myself am fully convinced about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. But I've written more boldly to you on some points so as to remind you. That's why Paul wrote this letter. Now, what's all that mean? Well, when Paul tells the Romans that he is really convinced that they're full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, Paul's not contradicting what he said to them in the opening of the letter, which is that you're not full of goodness. You have a real problem. It's your sin. You live for yourself. Paul's not contradicting himself and, and telling the Romans that they are fully good and they know everything. Here's what he's saying. He's putting their minds at ease because he wants to come to Rome. And he, he sort of tells them this. I know you've got a good bunch up there. Don't get my purpose wrong in writing this letter. I don't want you to think that I think you guys are a nightmare, that you're a train wreck. In some ways, Paul says, you don't even need me. You would have been fine without this letter. I know you guys as a group, you have enough collective goodness, enough collective knowledge that you can teach one another up. You can instruct one another. You can counsel one another. You can admonish one another. That word could mean. In some ways, you didn't need this letter. You would have been fine without it. But... I decided to write to you and write boldly the way I have. I've pulled no punches. I know I've even probably offended some people up there in Rome. And I wrote that way to you so as to remind you. I may not have told you anything you didn't already know. But God's people need consistent 
bold gospel reminders. Don't we? That's what Paul says. Even if you knew all this stuff, you would have been fine without it. I wrote and I wrote boldly because we need consistent, biblical, challenging reminders from God's Word. That's why I wrote. Then Paul says, this part right here really goes with the next verse probably, because of the grace given to me by God. So Paul says, I, I'm free to write to you because I'm an apostle. The grace given to Paul by God is his position as an apostle. So I can write whatever church I want. That's part of this. But then Paul's going to talk about the grace that he's been given, his apostleship. He's told him why he wrote. Now he's going to tell He's going to talk about the reasons why he ministers the way he ministers as an apostle. The grace given to me through God has been to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And Paul says this about his ministry. I serve the gospel of God like a priest so that the Gentiles may become an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That is the reason why Paul ministers the way Paul ministers. Paul says he does his job. I, I, his job, his calling from Jesus personally was to take the gospel to the Gentiles mainly, which is non-Jewish people, people of non-Israeli descent like probably all of us. That's his job, and he does that job like a priest like a priest. That's an interesting thing to say. Under, to, to catch Paul's drift here, to understand what he's saying, we have to know what Paul would have thought about a priest. In Paul's day, this first century Jewish man, Hebrew thinker, for Paul, a priest was a man who served at the temple in Jerusalem. Paul's entire life, the temple had stood, it was still operating while he wrote this letter to the Romans. And for Paul, a priest, here was the, a priest's main job. They were, to call them the guardians of God's holiness is probably a stretch, but they were a go-between between a holy and perfect God and sinful people who didn't have access to that holy and perfect God. This is like a, a blueprint of what the temple might have looked like in Paul's day. And here, this, the whole thing is the temple complex. Right here is the temple proper. And if you can even see that little square right there, that little square is called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. That is God's room. From the, in the temple religion, that was God's house. And God's, like God's room in God's house. And nobody, but nobody had access to God's room. One man on one day a year. That's it. Nobody else could ever go in there because God's holy. He's unapproachable. That's what this system teaches, among other things. God had this little place out here that was like God's parlor. It's where he received guests. It's called the holy place, not the most holy place, like the second most holy place. 
And priests could, certain priests, a few people could go in there. And so here was a priest's main job, because they're the only ones that could get even that close to God. They met a few, a few more people could get in here, a few more people could get in here, and then everybody, for the most part, could come out here. Here's the priest's job. People had to bring a sacrifice that had to die on their behalf for their sin to be dealt with. And the priests would come out here and meet you, your family. The patriarch of your family would go in and take your animal, and the priest would look and check your animal out that had to die so that your sin could be atoned for. And the priest would check to make sure that sacrifice was without blemish. Right? It had to be perfect. And then the priest would go in here and deal with God because you and I didn't have any access to that sort of God. That's a priest. Paul says, I minister to the Gentiles like that. Well, that's interesting because Paul didn't stay in Jerusalem. He didn't work at the temple at all. But Paul is interested in a sacrifice. Romans 12.1, Paul told us and told the Romans what kind of sacrifice Christians are supposed to be bringing to God. What is that sacrifice? If you're a Christian, what sacrifice does God want from you? It's not a bull. It's not a goat. It's not a sheep. It's your body. It's you. It's me. Romans 12.1, Paul said... Therefore, here's what I exhort you. Here's what I challenge you, brothers and sisters. If you've accepted the mercy of God, the gospel, here's what you do. Present your body as a sacrifice to God. Alive, holy, and pleasing to God. And this is just your reasonable, logical, it's the most logical way you can worship God or serve God. By giving your whole life to God. Body and all. All right, now let's go back to verse 16. What does all that have to do with Paul's ministry? Paul says, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, and I do my job like a priest. Paul says, so that the Gentiles may become an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy. Here's, here's Paul's whole job. So just like those priests in the temple, only we don't have to go to the temple anymore. I am a living sacrifice, Paul says. I've given my whole life to God, and now my job is I go out to the Gentiles, a living sacrifice, looking to find more living sacrifices. But just like a priest at the temple, God won't just take anybody as an acceptable sacrifice. Willie, if you want to be a living sacrifice to God, do you have to be without blemish? Perfect? Don't answer too quickly. Because the answer is yes. You have to be without blemish, perfect, righteous, or God will not accept you as a sacrifice. The question is, how do we get made perfect, righteous, without blemish? That's the gospel. 
That's what Paul explained from Romans chapter 1 through end of Romans chapter 11. Here's the gospel. The gospel, the good news is, first the bad news, you're not righteous. So God can't accept you. The good news is, he sent the only one who ever was righteous to die as the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, what was happening is he was dying the punishment you deserve for your sin, then God takes his righteousness and puts it on your account. He makes you that kind of righteous, perfect, without blemish. And by faith in Christ alone, God gifts you with righteousness. Why? Why? Why did God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, why did God make you righteous? Just so your ticket is punched to heaven, and so now, because you have that, you can sin whatever sin you want to sin. You can sin by the sin of your sinny sin sin, and nothing else matters because you believed in Jesus. Is that why God declared you righteous? No. You know why God declared you righteous? Because he wants you to be a living sacrifice. And you had to be without blemish before you could give yourself to him. So Paul says, my job, I travel all over. He's going to say where Christ has not been named. I share the gospel with people. And I make sure they're without blemish. How does one get without blemish? Read Romans 1 through 11. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Once they've been made righteous, then I encourage them, give your life to God as a sacrifice. That's your purpose. But no one can be. You can try all you want to live your life to please God. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you are wasting your time. It's the most colossal waste of time you could ever do. Because Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Faith in Christ makes me righteous without blemish so that I can give my life to God and he can accept it. So Paul says, my ministry is to be a living sacrifice looking to bring God more living sacrifices. Understanding God can't accept a sacrifice, a human being who hasn't first believed in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's Paul's ministry. That's the reason why Paul ministers the way that he ministers. Now Paul is going to talk about his boasting. That's Paul's ministry. He just described his ministry. How's it been going for Paul? Has Paul had some ministry success by the time he writes Romans? You better believe it. He's only the most successful by really about any major uh, missionary in the history of the world. So Paul, from a human perspective, would have reason to boast in how well his ministry has gone. I minister like a priest. I'm a living sacrifice, looking for other living sacrifices, and he's about to tell us, man, it's gone so well like I'm done. 
I'm done where I got sent out. But Paul says, so because that's my ministry and it's been going so well, I boast in Christ Jesus about the things that pertain to God. I will dare not to, I don't speak of anything except in a way like this. Here's what Christ has accomplished through me in order to bring about the obedience of the Gentiles. Paul says, I'll tell my story. I'll bet Paul told his story every time he went to a new place. Don't you suppose? Hey, my name's Paul or Saul, and uh, I used to be a Christian hunter, and now I'm a Christian missionary. Let me tell you what happened to me on the way to Damascus one day. And I'm sure Paul told fantastic stories. Hey, there was this one time um, I was shipwrecked, and I thought I was going to drown, but God wasn't done with me, and I floated ashore, and I got out, and these people I met, they built a fire, which was great, until a poisonous snake came out of the firewood and bit me, and I didn't die. You think Paul told that story a lot? I would tell that story every day if that was my story. Paul says, I will tell my story, but it's all this. Let me tell you what Christ accomplished through someone who used to hate his guts. Let me tell you what the God of the universe can do to someone with someone who just says, you win. The way Paul told his story is basically this. The only thing I did to God, for God or with God is, is just relent. Okay, Lord. Like, you're the captain now. You're the boss. Where are we going? If Paul had Paul's way, Paul would still be hunting Christians and throwing them in prison. But Christ had Christ's way with Paul. And Paul relented. And everything that happened was just because Paul said, okay, you win. I'm yours. I'm a living sacrifice. Looking for more living sacrifices. So now... Um, when some Gentiles come to know Jesus as Savior and they start to be obedient Christians, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in their lives. If, uh, if there's signs and wonders, Paul did miracles. He got bitten by poisonous snakes, stuff like that. Jesus gets all the credit for all of those things. And then Paul says this, from Jerusalem, roundabout, as far as Illyricum, which is up in, I think, modern-day Albania. It's probably the best guess. Um, what Paul says right there, if you leave Jerusalem and go this way and get all the way back up to Illyricum, he says, I have fully preached the gospel. Like, I am done. How can that be true? Paul's job was not to evangelize every family and every person in those regions where God sent him. Paul's job, he'll say in a second, was to go to a place where there aren't any churches, where Christ has not been named, and go to the key cities within those regions and evangelize there and make some living sacrifices or let God through him make some living sacrifices and plant a church and appoint elders. And as soon as he did that, he would go to the next key city in that region. 
And he would do the same thing. Get to the next city, uh, evangelize, make some living sacrifices, plant a church, appoint some elders, and on he would go. Then the people in those key cities, it was their job to branch out of their city and evangelize all the peoples and the towns and the villages and the highways and the byways. So here's what Paul says to the Romans, and you'll see why he says it next week. Like, I'm done where I set out to minister. But I'm not done, Paul says. I'm done from Jerusalem, uh, Greece, Macedonia, um, uh, Galatia, the, the province of Asia. Like I've hit all the key cities. That's my job. But I'm not done. Paul says, here's why I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing. Paul says in verses 20 and 21, and in this way I desire to preach where Christ has not been named so as not to build on another person's foundation. Here's the way I roll. I want to see this fulfilled from Isaiah. Those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. Paul's desire is to keep going to new places where the gospel has not been heard and find new key cities in some new region. Paul's ministry, he's putting the minds of the Roman Christians at ease because he's about to tell them for the second time in this letter, I want to come to Rome. But don't get the wrong idea. This is not going to be a hostile Paul takeover. I'm not coming to Rome because I want to be the head pastor of the church in Rome. That's not the way I roll. Paul says, I want to keep going where Christ has not been named because I don't build on another's foundation. There's nothing wrong with that ministry. Paul just says, it's not what I do. You know who is supposed to build on another person's foundation? All of us. Because we don't live in a place where Christ has not been named. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Christianity came to Nebraska before you or I were ever born. So we're always building on another person's foundation in this way. And there's nothing wrong with it. Paul just wants to tell them, I'm not coming up there to take over. I just want your help going where I'm going next. More on that next week. Paul says, I, Isaiah um, 52, 15 God promised those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard are going to understand. That's my job. There's plenty of gospel work to be done in Rome. It's just not what I plan to do. And that's our passage. That's Paul's reasons why. It's the reason why Paul wrote this letter. It's the reason why Paul ministered the way he ministered. It's the reason why Paul boasts in his ministry. And it's why Paul will continue to minister the way he will continue to minister. So what do you and I learn from Paul's reasons why? You and I are not apostles. We don't have the same mission or the same job or the same position that Paul had, but we can definitely learn some things from Paul's reasons why. Because each of us who are Christians, each of us who know Christ as Savior, we have a mission.
Four things. One, from each of those sections we just taught through. First in verses 14 through 15, Paul wrote, that was the part, verses 14 and 15 is where Paul uh, told the Romans why he wrote the letter. You guys have a good bunch up there. You are adequate. You're not falling apart without me. In some ways, you don't need me. But I wrote to you anyway. Because I'll tell you what you do need. Reminded. We never stop needing bold reminders from the scriptures. You know, this, this book is filled with examples that teach this warning. Warning! The people of God are very apt to forget their God. You know, that's one reason why we come to church. That's one reason why we come to church. You ever hear somebody say this? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Maybe some of you have been someone who said that before. I think I have. I don't have to come to church to be a Christian. I think what we mean when we say that is, I don't have to come to church to go to heaven. Going to heaven is not my purpose. Being a living sacrifice and glorifying God with my life is my purpose. And I am not going to do that without constant gospel reminders. One reason you, probably the main reason you pay me to be here and prepared when you get here on Sunday morning is this, because we all need these reminders. We need reminded of God's goodness, that God still loves you no matter what you are going through. We need that reminder. We need the reminder of our purpose. It's not just to be uh, happy and and wealthy and, and whatever. We have a higher calling. We need reminded of what our hope is, that our king is coming. We need a reminder sometimes that our sin is still sin and it's still a problem. We never stop needing bold gospel reminders. Second, from verse 16, even though none of us are apostles, um, Uh, If you ever move from here, young people, if you leave from here and you visit a church that claims to be led by an apostle or has an apostle that visits from time to time, I would encourage you to find somewhere else to go to church. It's a symptom of a bigger problem. But we are, there are no more apostles. So our our mission and our ministry uh, and our purpose will be different than Paul's in some ways. But, boy, There should be some similarities at least. Paul's purpose, Paul was a living sacrifice looking to bring more living sacrifices that have been made pleasing to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that supposed to be our purpose? Paul is not the only one that this is true about. Never underestimate what God can do through one person who says, all right, you win. All right, you win, God. I've called the shots in my life for my whole life. And I know it's not going to get me anywhere good, so I guess you win. The Apostle Paul is one man who did that, 
And God changed the whole world through him. We should be living sacrifices, those who would have relented to God. And when we do that, he will put us on mission to find, to bring more living sacrifices, people who come to know Jesus as Savior and then live in that obedience that comes from faith in Christ. It's hard. It's scary. But it's our mission. It really is. And there is a direct correlation, church. You know, God can save whomever God wants to save, however God wants to save him. But there's a direct correlation between the number of people we tell about Jesus and the number of people who will believe in Jesus. There is a direct correlation to the number of people that I invite to church and the number of people who show up to church. It's not a one-to-one correlation. It might be one or two percent. But one or two percent of a thousand is more than one or two percent of a dozen. Right? There's a direct correlation to the number of people I try to encourage and the number of people who wind up feeling encouraged. Will some of, will some of those efforts blow up in your face? Of course. But the more people we encourage, that we love on, that we uh, maybe challenge in a biblical way, the more people that, that that will happen for. We're living sacrifices given to God, working to see more people be living sacrifices. And when it actually works the way we had hoped, number three, like Paul, we boast in Jesus Christ. This really is a command. It's not that it's just sort of okay to boast in Christ. We're not really supposed to boast because we're, we're humble. No, we're supposed to boast in Christ. You know why? Because Christ is awesome. Because the gospel, the gospel is the most amazing message ever told. It changes people's lives. It's the hope of the world. So we boast in Christ. We tell our stories. Here's, here's what I used to be like. I didn't didn't care a whit about Jesus. Here's how I started to care about Jesus, and here's who he's making me now. That's boasting in Jesus Christ. If I had my way, I'd still be hunting Christians and whatever else, like Paul. But here's how and why he changed me. We boast in Christ when it works. And then, number four, I love... I love the last few verses where Paul says, I'm done. I left, I left Jerusalem. I went all the way around this way. I, I wound up in Illyricum. Like, I think I've done what God sent me out to do, but I'm not done. Next week he's going to say, you ever been to Spain? I think I want to go to Spain. I want to do the same thing I just did in what we call Turkey in Spain because I'm not done. I might be old, I might be half blind, I might have been almost killed multiple times, but I'm not done. I don't know where you're at in your walk with life, I don't know where you're at in this time left on earth, but I will say this, you are not done. If all you can do is pray, 
then pray that God would send workers to the harvest. That, that God would create folks here that are living sacrifices relented to God who are on mission for more living sacrifices. And maybe there's more you can do. I don't know what it is. But God does. Ask him. Who can I encourage? Who can I tell? But I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, learn. I'll help you. It's not that hard. It really isn't. You can do it on a napkin. There's great apps on your cell phone. We never stop needing bold gospel reminders. That's what I'm here for. We should be living sacrifices, bringing more living sacrifices. When it works, we boast in Christ. Lather, rinse, repeat. And watch what God can do even here. Pray with me and we'll finish our time. Father God, thank you so much for um, revealing yourself to, the, to Saul of Tarsus that day on the road to Damascus for changing his life and changing the world through him. God, we will never be the Apostle Paul, but we should never say that you couldn't change someone's world through a sinner like me. God, I pray that you would help us to understand how we can be used of you. Help us to to think of ourselves as a living sacrifice, someone who just relents to you, lets you call the shots, and to look for what those shots are, that we could be on mission. God, do things through us that make us boast in you. And then wind us up and start us over that you might be glorified by saving more and more folks um, here in our area to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ who saved a sinner like Paul and sinners like us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.